This is episode 25 of Untangled Faith. In this episode, I wrap up this season and hand the interview role to my friend, Lauren Thillman. We talk about what this process has been like and all the things I would want to say if I had the chance to have a conversation with anyone at Ramsey Solutions. Feel a sense of relief. It's out there. People can interact with it and people can respond to it in some way, but also people can interact with it and respond to it. And I can only control the telling of this, of the account. I can't control what happens next. Mostly I have heard from people that have said, thank you for speaking up. I have a similar situation. I know you, you've told your story, but would you like to address specifically any of those accusations now that you have the opportunity to say those things in public? This is Amy Fritz, and you're listening to Untangled Faith, a podcast for anyone who has found themselves confused or disillusioned in their faith journey. If you want to hold on to your faith while untangling it from all the things that are not good and true, this is the place for you. You have told your whole Ramsey story. You know, he didn't give us the minute by minute, but you came as close as is reasonable. And so now it's out there in public. And how does it feel? My first response is to say, I didn't share everything. Everything is not out there. Um, but you're right. I would say the vast majority of it is out there. And so I feel a mix of things. I feel a sense of relief. It's out there. And that's good. And people can interact with it and people can respond to it in some way, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. also people can interact with it and respond to it. And I can only control the telling of this, of the account. I can't control what happens next. It's sort of a mix of, yes, I did the thing. And it feels like that was the thing I had to do and a feeling of relief. And then a little bit of anticipation of, I have no idea what's next, mixed with a little bit of anxiety of, I hope nothing bad happens. Right, (laughs) right. You know, you told your story too. So I don't know. Mm -hmm. There's this feeling of like, we did it. I mean, I felt relief. It felt good to no longer have to think about how much can I say. Yes. Yeah. Remember back when we were like, are you ever going to devote an episode to your story, Amy? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, how many now? Seven or more. Um, (laughs) You know, in regards to now that it's out there, it's out there and people are going to engage with it however they want to and you can't control it anymore. What has the response been? Have you gotten feedback on this season? And what has that feedback been? And is anything about that feedback surprising to you? Mostly I have heard from people that have said, thank you for speaking up. I have a similar situation, you know, sharing last week's I knew would be really emotional for people. I was not wrong. I knew when people Mm -hmm. heard, particularly you and Greg say the things that you would want to say that those Mm -hmm. would be the same sorts of things other people wish they could say too Mm -hmm. and could sort of sit there and feel those feelings alongside you. And mostly messages from people I do not know, have never Mm -hmm. met before, at least a dozen people 
mm-hmm. that had some connection to Ramsey in the past, either working there or connected to somebody have said, I resonate with your story. I had an experience mm-hmm. that was similar or I too was hurt in some way and discouraged and discarded and felt like I could never say anything mm-hmm. for one reason or another. It is really been humbling because some of these people haven't talked at all for Mm -hmm. like a decade because they were afraid. Yeah. I just feel honored that they would take that step of reaching out to a stranger to say, I too have a story like that. It's a lot of that and that mixed with people that have other experiences with faith organizations or communities that have hurt them that they can relate in some way. You know, your podcast isn't just for obviously people with an association with Ramsey. Your first two seasons have, right. you know, you mentioned that your husband used to work at Ramsey kind of in passing, but it's definitely not a focus of your first right. two seasons. So mm-hmm. most of your listeners that have been around for a while probably didn't follow you for Ramsey content. What do you hope that those listeners who have no association with this place or this person but we're interested in your podcast and the themes of, you know, untangling your faith from all the things that are not good and true. What do you hope those listeners will take away from this season? And how do you feel like sharing that specific story might speak to a more universal audience? That's a big, huge question. I know you're welcome. I just am I'm not going to know what everyone's going to get out of it. But I keep thinking back to when we were sort of in the deep of feeling like so discouraged. Nathan freshly left his job just looking for anything that would help us make sense of it. Hearing other people tell their stories, even though it was a different place, it just mm. felt like I wasn't alone. I mean, I listened to this woman talk about her experience with Harvest Bible Chapel and how she had wished somebody had said something when they Mm -hmm. left, you know, that if somebody would have just said something and she wasn't talking to me, she was talking to those people that left that hadn't said anything, but I just knew, I knew then, like, I just had that Mm -hmm. feeling burning in me. Like, I'm not going to be a person that leaves, walks away and doesn't say anything. I think regardless what account somebody is telling, when somebody is sharing about something as universal as their faith, hearing how it has worked for somebody else, you don't have to be in that situation to learn any one of a number of things from that. And right. I I didn't have a goal of like this one thing I'm going to say, this person's going to hear and they're going to be able to apply mm-hmm. it to their life. I don't know. What people are going to be able to apply to their life. What I hope though, is that I love to connect people to things that help them. There's a couple different things. Number one, if you have been hurt to just see that they're not alone, Mm -hmm. this is how we've processed it. But also I'm hoping people listen and and have an introspection and a humility. We talked about this in Mm -hmm. your episode that says, We are not right about everything. Mm -hmm. And what is it that we might be wrong about? Nobody thinks they're the bad guy. So how can I make sure that I'm doing what I can Mm -hmm. to make my communities healthy and to recognize if I am the problem or contributing to the problem? 
I don't know how we get to a more healthier place for all of us when it comes to our faith Mm -hmm. communities if we don't start with that. I think there'd probably be some people that listen and they're like, what can you tell me to help me never be in this sort of situation again? Mm -hmm. And I don't, I can't. Even if we sat down and we were like, here's an episode, list every red flag that (laughs) you can remember. I don't think we'd possibly hit all of them. No. And I just think there's something about us that we're drawn to some of those red flags that we don't see as red flags until later. Yeah, Some of it's just if you're a trusting person. Yeah. Sometimes you take things in good faith. And I don't think it's necessarily on you for taking things in good faith when people take advantage of that. Yeah. Yeah. And do you want to change who you are? Do you want to be like, no, I'm not going to trust people at all anymore? That's a thing I've struggled with a lot in the last Mm -hmm. year and a half is do I want to change my worldview, the way I approach other humans to believe they are fundamentally untrustworthy? I still haven't landed on an answer on that one. And I think it's interesting what you said about, you know, like for you listening to stories from Harvest Bible Chapel really spoke to you and you were like, oh, that's really applicable to my life. I remember you recommended sneakily because you knew I wasn't wanting to talk about Ramsey after Greg left. You were like, you should read these books about Harvey Weinstein. (laughs) I did. <laughs> yes. And you were like, you would find these really interesting. I read Catch and Kill and I read She Said. And I was like, some of this sounds uncomfortably familiar. And you also told me to read um, What is a Girl Worth, which is all about the Larry Nasser USA Gymnastics abuse. But it was also about how Rachel Denhollander was mistreated in her Sovereign Grace congregation when she went to them with her abuse story. And like, I'm reading these books that have nothing to do with Ramsey. I mean, you know, you read these stories and these little pieces jump out to you and you're going, oh, that's a little uncomfortable. That's a little familiar. I think we weren't quite ready to process. Yeah, you weren't thinking about Um, Ramsey. No, we were like, we just want to move on with our lives. We don't really want to think about that. And you were like, (laughs) okay, would you like to read these completely unrelated books that are going to cause you to have some introspection anyway? Um, That was not your pitch for them, but... (laughs) But that is what they prompted. And yeah. it was good preparation for me in hindsight of when everything did start going wrong. Mm-hmm. Is even as traumatic as it was, being like, oh, this is similar to this pattern that I've read about in these mm-hmm. other situations. And, you know, you still don't, it's still hard to deal with, but it's at least recognizable. You can put a name to it. Absolutely. Um, yeah. That might be one of the big takeaways for people that like don't know who this Dave Ramsey person is, don't really have any ties to that, but they might hear your story and in some of those specifics be like, oh, so that's what I'm experiencing. Mm -hmm. That is the name for this. Now Mm -hmm. I can identify it and I know I'm not crazy because that's one of the big things that spiritual abuse does to you is make you think you're crazy. You know, this season you did such a good job of breaking down here's what happened and here's what that was. Like, here are all the techniques that were used to manipulate and abuse here. And none of that was okay. And maybe someone listening will go, that's not okay. Yeah. What are you taking away from (laughs) this podcasting experience this season? How is telling your personal story? affected your own untangling of your faith? 
Oh man, everyone's talking about deconstructing these days. I could mm-hmm. not have planned that when I launched my podcast. I was no. not that smart. <laughs> yeah, I might have named it something else. It came right while we had decided that we had outgrown the church church that we were attending Mm -hmm. for lots of different reasons. It's so weird to be talking through these sorts of things while you're feeling a little bit floating in the uh, the Mm -hmm. ocean by yourself and not sure where you're going to land. I, I do not love the American evangelical model of mm-hmm. how all of this stuff, the white American model of that doesn't really look like Jesus very much. It looks like a CEO of a corporation. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, Nathan worked at a corporation, so it, it, it will be a CEO there. Mm-hmm. But I don't love mixing it all together. I don't mm-hmm. love trying to mix this many parts capitalism with this Mm -hmm. many parts Jesus, because it Mm -hmm. doesn't look like Jesus. And my untangling has looked more like, okay, is what's happening here just somebody's idea? Yeah. But like the things that Jesus came, the law that he came to fulfill and the way like the Sermon on the Mount where he said, you know, you've heard this, but I'm telling Mm -hmm. you this. Mm -hmm. And how we just sort of turned all the things upside down, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Beatitudes. Mm-hmm. And I don't see that reflected a lot mm-hmm. in our churches. And that I am more drawn to that now. And I don't mm-hmm. think at some point everybody has this like tendency to overcorrect, you know, mm-hmm. we're going to overcorrect one way and our kids are going to overcorrect another way. But there's also a culture that we've cultivated mm-hmm. that attracts people that want to be in leadership, that have an unhealthy bent for power and mm-hmm. limelight, and that maybe more, you know, have more of a tendency towards narcissism. And that's on the platform and, mm-hmm. you know, the people that run the committees and, and what have you. But I want to call that out. I want people to recognize it more. And I think Mm -hmm. I'm recognizing it more. But I also want to just be really grateful for the people that have faithfully loved their communities and loved, Mm -hmm. you know, worked with kids at their churches for years. But just because they were committed Mm -hmm. to, they're committed to that community. They just really did love Jesus. And when everything was swirling around them, (laughs) they Mm -hmm. just sort of, stuck in there, not to prop up unhealthy s- systems, but to hope for the best so mm-hmm. that it wouldn't all fall apart. Because I don't I don't think we should throw all of those people out. And I am going to get things wrong. And I hope somebody, <laughs> someday somebody says, well, she loved Jesus. Mm-hmm. She got this wrong. But mm-hmm. she got it wrong. For the right reasons. And hopefully it's not for for me, you know. At the same time, this season's been going on. Rise and Fall of Mars Hill has been going on, you know, just recently wrapped up the gangster capitalism season on Liberty University and the Falwells. Um, You know, we watched the documentary on Gwen Shamblin and Mm -hmm. Remnant Church, which is just right down the road. I know, I just drove by it today. (laughs) Um, You know, Ravi Zacharias, Bethlehem Baptist, like all of these different places, different people. 
like we've got churches, but you've also got university and you've also got like in Ramsey, you've got this for-profit corporation. And yet the playbook seems so similar when you keep watching the stories and you go, wow, that sounds a lot like this other organization, this other person that I've been following. This is kind of a multi-layered question. One is, what is it about that culture that tends to attract either that type of person or cultivate that type of person? Because I don't know, like, I don't know these people from birth, so I don't know, were they always like this or did they grow into this in that community? So why does this keep happening? What draws us to these sorts of figures and these sorts of communities? And what can we do, those of us who aren't in these positions of power, don't have the big platforms, what can we do on an individual and smaller community level to try to put a stop to the toxicity of this pattern? I would love to say, if we learned all these things, we could make sure it doesn't happen. But I just, I don't think we're going to be able to put an end to it anytime soon. It's so baked into how we do things mm-hmm. in the world that, that we live in here in America. It's a very cultural way that we do church. And I think as long as we have that stage situation where mm-hmm. so much of it is literally and figuratively looking up to one person mm-hmm. to be like this keystone figure in it, we're going to have problems. It's it's going to be, mm-hmm. I think that model needs to be reconsidered. We're, they've talked to Chuck DeGroat on the rise and fall of Mars Hill, and he wrote a book called When Narcissism Comes to Church. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend it. It's such a great book. Chuck DeGroat has such a gentle way about him. He became really curious about why do we have such a problem with narcissism? Some of that is self-selecting in our church planting organization questionnaires, mm-hmm. the applications, like it's baked in. That's the sort of personality people are looking for. Mm-hmm. If we're going to fight against that, well, first of all, I think we need to know that we mm-hmm. want to be in community. That's just part of who we are. Mm-hmm. We're going to be drawn to creatures. Be, the group needs a leader. And who wants to lead? I think how we talk about leadership and who we encourage to go into the ministry. Mm-hmm. I would love to have conversations about that and me not, you are a fantastic speaker. Have you thought of being a pastor? Like, how about you are so kind. Mm-hmm. You are so good with people that are hurting and so able to recognize people that are on the outside. Why don't we pinpoint them? That's yeah. the leader. Are We gravitate towards people because mm-hmm. we want to be led We Mm kind of like people making rules for us. We kind of like not having to make decisions. You know, as much as I don't like being bossed around, there is something about, oh, I know what the rules are. Mm -hmm. I don't have to think. We should stay in the game. We should stay engaged in the thinking and the wrestling and the... Well, and the critical thinking is exhausting. Oh, I know. Like to constantly have to re-examine everything and go... I don't want to second guess everything somebody says. Mm-hmm. But what if we put like a little thing on the calendar every so often that says critical thinking check-in? Is there a criteria or like a filter that you 
put things through now based on your Ramsey experience that you didn't used to do, like a critical thinking lens that you intentionally put on to take in new people, new information, or even things that you had previously accepted that you're like, I need to apply my new Ramsey lens to this. Like, is there any (laughs) specific way you now try to look at things that you didn't before? I want to hear people say when they're wrong. Mm -hmm. I want people to say, this is where I messed up. Mm -hmm. Uh, Offer that information in a real genuine way. Uh, Unhealthy leaders can't do that. Mm -hmm. If I'm coming into a place new, I want to know, what have you messed up on? Mm -hmm. I want to hear how they talk about how they've messed up. I'm exactly the same. I want to know that people can be introspective in that regard and say, Mm -hmm. I could have done better here. Lauren and I talked a bit about the things I've learned along the way since starting this podcast. If I'm not sure somebody actually wants to share something, I'll circle back with them and say, hey, you shared this. Are you comfortable with that? And I haven't had anybody, I haven't had to think about it as like somebody sharing like a third party's information. Mm Mm-hmm anytime recently, but like with you guys last week where I was like, Oh, they said this. And I don't know that they really wanted to. I will just say on the record, you let us listen to our whole episode in advance. Yes. And said, is there any part that needs to be changed? And I sent you this whole long list of parts where I was like, (laughs) I am so sorry. We shouldn't have said that. We overshared here. That should not be out in public. Yeah. (laughs) And you were like, this is a little overwhelming, but okay. You did such a wonderful job of honoring that in a way that we were comfortable with. Well, if I'm going to share someone else's story and it's something that they're like vulnerably sharing, I want to get it right. And I felt the weight of last week's. It took a lot longer than I thought it would. Well, we also gave you like five hours of audio. (laughs) Multiple (laughs) different recordings. But that wasn't like, it was just kind of a comedy of errors how that happened. But I knew that you had never shared this Mm -hmm. before. I really wanted it, wanted to get it right. I wanted Mm -hmm. you to feel good about it. I wanted Greg to feel good about it. I just wanted it to be put together Mm -hmm. well. And that's why I was up at like one o'clock in the morning. Yeah. (laughs) Last Wednesday, yeah. I would much rather spend all the time working on it than later mm-hmm. on you go, oh, I'm, I wish we hadn't. Yeah. There, there was nothing that I listened to that episode that I was like, I wish we had thought to take that out because you gave us so much control over it. You were like, I can send you pieces. I can send you the whole thing. And I was like, I'd like the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think this kind of feeds into in just talking about how much care, how much emotion, how much nuance goes into having to tell these sorts of stories. Just what, in your opinion, is the value in telling these stories of hurt and pain and abuse within a a church or church-adjacent setting? Circling back to that first episode I was ever on, is it just about exposing bad behavior? Is it just about this entertainment of watching things crash and burn? Or is there another purpose? The value is helping people regain some of their story. So some the person that's telling their story mm-hmm. has often been labeled, silenced, misrepresented in some way. And to reclaim that is really powerful. Mm-hmm. To speak truth where you haven't been able to speak truth or where there have been lies spoken, mm-hmm. it feels redemptive. Mm-hmm. And that feels really good. The other value is 
I think seeing how things can go terribly wrong helps us to think about what we can do to bring accountability. Mm -hmm. Listening to the rise and fall of Mars Hill, Mars Hill Church doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. But Driscoll's still a pastor. And I hope people are thinking about that when they are listening to that podcast. I hope people are thinking when they are hearing some of these stories, some of these people, this isn't ancient history Mm-hmm. They are still being platformed in many ways. And are we okay with that? Yeah. And should we be doing something now so that we don't have another Mars Hill situation yeah. where the podcast is created in a, you know 10 years from now and people are saying we were so wounded and no one did anything. The way the evangelical industrial complex props each other up. People need to reconsider who they are asking to have on their stages and who Mm -hmm. they are asking to endorse their books and speak for their events. Mm -hmm. I I just, I hope people are paying attention and I don't want to tell people what to do because that's Mm -hmm. not my job, but I do want you to, I want people to hear this and understand there are people that are being hurt now by this organization that we talked about. Mm -hmm. And I hope people think about that. Mm -hmm. And I hope it informs what they're doing now and not 10 years from now. One of the questions I try to ask myself, and I'm not great at it because it's an uncomfortable question, is am I excusing behavior in someone that I like that I would have considered a red flag in someone I don't like? Hmm. That's a good question. So much of, I think, the reason these people gain these platforms is because they're likable. Not to everyone. No one's going to be likable to everyone. But there's, you know, they you talk about the charismatic leader. Like, that's what charisma is. It's the ability yeah. to get people to yeah. like you. And they're saying things you want to hear. Yeah. People that seem to fit into the same place in the world that you occupy and or that you want to occupy and they're saying things that are appealing and they have a personality that appeals to you. We all have those people, even if we've gotten out of the spaces that we recognized as toxic. You know, there are still people that we look up to. There are still people that we are friends with, that we listen to ever since, you know, a year and a half ago. That's a question I keep trying to ask myself is, is this some, is, am I making excuses because I like this community, this person that in a different environment, I would say that's a red flag. Why is no one noticing it? In line with saying, you know, you really want to help people tell the truth of their stories, especially people that have never gotten that chance to speak for themselves, mm-hmm. advocate for themselves and say what they experienced this season. You talked about a couple instances where you and Nathan specifically were talked about in front of large groups of people where you weren't present and were painted very poorly um, in the Got Your Six meeting that you and Melissa analyzed and, and his leader were described as rats leaving a ship without any sign of water. And it is disloyal in Last week in the episode that Greg and I were on, that meeting that they had, Nathan was mentioned in that meeting, talking about um, participating in a coup to bring down <laughs> the company. Oh my. Neither you nor Nathan was at either of those meetings. Right. And I think it's safe to say still that no one from the company ever reached out for comment right. from you on either of those things. I know you, you've told your story, 
But would you like to address specifically any of those accusations now that you have the opportunity to say those things in public? The interesting thing is so many people that we knew really personally are gone now. Mm -hmm. So I would say the majority of people that are left there don't know who we are personally. If they know my name, it's probably not for a good reason. That's such a crazy thing Mm -hmm. (laughs) to think of. I think I would say in response to that is that we've never ever had a desire to destroy Ramsey Solutions. And mostly because it is made up of a lot of people who have no idea Mm -hmm. Some of the ugly things that have gone on and the really, the really dark, gross stuff for Dave and whoever else was speaking in those meetings to say that we were trying to do a coup. A coup means like trying to take someone else's power. So Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. (laughs) I think the impression he's trying to make was that we're trying to hurt them. I think that's such a telling thing because all we had ever done was tell the truth about our experience. And to have Dave represent that as such a danger to the organization, Mm -hmm. I would just ask people to consider that. A healthy organization will not have their future in jeopardy because someone told the truth about them. That will just never happen. A godly organization will never say, you know, we can only survive if we perpetuate a lie. Mm -hmm. All we said was our experience and what was actually true. And I would say 99% of those things can be objectively verified. And whether I was friends with Melissa Hogan or not, doesn't change the fact that Ramsey leaders knew that Chris had been unfaithful to her Mm -hmm. for, uh, you know, not just once numerous times he knew of, they knew of many disqualifying things that would have cost other people their jobs. They chose not to believe it was that big of a deal, even Mm -hmm. though they brought in elders and other people that corroborated what was true about this story. Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. another thing I would say if I had a chance is, you know, I've heard several employees say this, probably Nathan's relayed this to me that Dave has said in the past on more than one occasion, you know, if God's favor ever leaves this place or God's hand of, you know, protection is ever no longer on us, I'm just going to, we should just shut down the place to shut the doors Mm -hmm. and be done. And I would just say, how would you know if that happened? Mm-hmm. Like what would be the signs that God's favor is no longer on Ramsey Solutions? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a thing I've wondered about because Greg has relayed to me, you know, some of those meetings of if everything is going well, if the company is making a lot of money, you know, growing in numbers, receiving a lot of praise externally, that is God's favor. You know, the messaging at the staff meetings and the devos is like, God is smiling upon us. We are doing something right. Right. But when an article comes out, like we heard this with the RNS article, we heard people that were there at the meeting before that came out saying that it was presented as we are under attack by Satan. Hmm. 
Satan only attacks you when you're a threat to him. So the fact that we are under attack by Satan means we are doing something right. So if when the company is doing well, it means you're doing something right. And when the company is doing poorly or the company is receiving criticism, it means you're doing something right. In what scenario would it be obvious that you are doing something wrong? Yeah. I'd love to hear the answer to that also. I just have to point out when it comes to that, come to the RNS reporting, at least half of what people were talking about after that wasn't so much the RNS reporting, but the response from Ramsey Solutions. Yes. And how horrible it was. It was their own words. Yeah. That's not an attack from Satan. That's honestly a lot of what was in that article, too. There was the recording. That's where you got the Got Your Six audio for this podcast from. It was in that article. How is that an attack from Satan to have your own words played in public? So the problem with giving Lauren the interview mic was that she was then able to ask me the hard questions that I had asked her. You asked us if we could speak to someone that was still inside the company, who would it be? And what would we say? And we both had answers to that question. So I'm guessing you have an answer to that question too. And I am curious what your answer is. I do have one specific person in mind. And I may pull a Lauren and have more than one question. If but I I'm just cheat, you can cheat. It's your podcast. Well, I mean, you chose multiple people and multiple questions. So I did. I, I did. I just completely <laughs> disregarded the question and wrote my own. <laughs> so my biggest feelings and my biggest questions are for the people and for one person in particular that really knew Nathan well, um, knew Nathan's leader really well. And I don't understand. I I just want to know, why didn't you fight for Nathan? Why didn't you want to hear very many details of what happened and why Nathan was needing to resign? Why and how could you sit there in those meetings hearing Dave represent these men of character as rats, as people that were believing lies and not having a backbone Mm -hmm. and like be okay with that. Be okay with sacrificing these men of character Mm -hmm. to protect a man that had none. I would love to hear the answer to that. And I want to know like, do you ever talk to your spouse <laughs> about work? Do you do you tell yeah. them how it's going? There are so many people there that I I want to say, when did you stop talking to your spouse about what was happening at work? Because I think that was at the point where they made a decision that was not a not not a good one. Yeah. And why did you stop talking to your spouse? Yeah. So the first episode or two this season, you were talking about, you know, 2011, 2012, Amy, who was so excited to (laughs) have been chosen for this great new opportunity. And it was funny because we were, we came here for Greg's job right around the same time, 2011. We were, they were hired just months apart from each other. I know, and you know, there would have been no talking us out of taking that job at the time. Right. So, right. But if there was something you could go back And talk to your 2012 self. Your husband has recently gotten his dream job at Ramsey Solutions, then the Lampo Group. What would you say to yourself? And is there anything, if you had this whole Ramsey journey to do again, 
that you would wish you had done differently? I would say trust your misgivings. Don't push those aside for one, because I had some early on and just pay attention to that. Sometimes people have misgivings and they turn out to be no big deal. Sometimes there have people have misgivings and they turn out to be a big deal and learn to make friends with feeling uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Don't be too quick to try to resolve the, the dissonance. Pay attention to how you are resolving the dissonance. Mm-hmm. Is it by turning the volume down on something that you shouldn't be turning the volume down on? Uh, is it by turning volume down on voices that you used to really trust mm-hmm. and enjoy, but now you can't because they're a threat mm-hmm. in some way? And when you say I, the dissonance, you mean like when your gut is telling you one thing yeah. and your head is telling you another, that sort of feeling? When there's like this little danger thing is going off, but to really see it means it's going to cost you something. Mm-hmm. You want to like put the tape over the check engine light and just not see it mm-hmm. there. The check engine light's still on, but you're just not looking. There's still something that needs to be fixed. This hits me in a raw place because our check engine line is on, light is on. <laughs> Right now. I'm sure it's just a, <laughs> like a fuse that needs to be. And I think this applies to so many different areas. If you feel some discomfort, lean into it, mm-hmm. examine it. And then I would also say, make your world bigger than Ramsey. And we ended up doing that. And I think that is something that helped us mm-hmm. in making the decision to leave later. Even though we had good friends there, we weren't going to lose everything with leaving. And the reason I asked that question is because, you know, we can't go back in time and talk to ourselves, but there are going to be people listening that are probably where we were back then that Mm -hmm. are just entering into places where they feel so happy to be there and so grateful. And hopefully those are really healthy, fulfilling places that are going to be wonderful experiences, but it's good to have these questions in mind so that you don't wind up going through that same thing if it can at all be avoided. And so if you can be conscious about saying, lean into that discomfort, don't look away from the things that aren't what you want them to be. Pay attention. I think that would help people so much from getting deep into these situations where suddenly they're like, how did I get here? That leads me to asking You know, when people do wind up there in that place where they're like, wow, I am so deeply entrenched in something that is not good, not healthy. You guys with you and Nathan, once the two of you hit that realization of something is extremely wrong here, it was not an easy decision, but you were able to make the decision of, okay, he needs to go like where Nathan could just quit and know because of his skill set, because of where you guys were, you know, okay, we're going to just take this leap of faith and, you know, let the details sort themselves out. Not everyone that comes to that same realization of I am in a bad situation is going to be able to do that for a variety of reasons. What would you say to someone who's where you guys were back? It's the spring of 2019. And you realize something is deeply wrong. You feel like quitting is not an option for us for whatever reason. What would you say to someone in that position? Well, I would want to know why it isn't an option, first of all, and not because there's no legitimate answer, because there's definitely Mm -hmm. legitimate answers. I think Marie Forleo, she is an influencer. Um, She says everything is figureoutable. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think in that case, too, 
it's figureoutable. I would say reach out to somebody that is trustworthy. You know, maybe it's somebody that's been where you are and is now on the outside, or maybe it's just a completely disinterested third party that can just talk you through what Mm -hmm. it would look like. Because it is scary. You don't know what Mm -hmm. it will be like. You don't know what the future holds or how long it takes to get a job. Or, you know, maybe you need insurance because you're going to have a baby soon and you're not sure Mm -hmm. how to handle all that. Or maybe you're in the middle of closing on a house Mm -hmm. and you can't just quit your job because you're closing on a house Mm -hmm. like next month. You've, you know, put a contract on a house. But I think everything is figureoutable. I think for a person that says, yeah, this is toxic and I need, I need out. I would say the first thing is if you're married, talk to your spouse, Mm -hmm. you know, talking a lot. And then you reach out to Greg (laughs) Thoman. Specifically if you're wanting to leave Ramsey. You know, there, there are some things you can do to make it easier to leave a place. And some of it is saving money. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're thinking about buying a house, maybe you wait. You can start thinking through the context that you have, business context, you may have more than you think you do mm-hmm. that may be able to help you even without you updating your LinkedIn. So many job things happen through personal connections. I don't want to downplay how hard it is. And for us, mm-hmm. it probably seemed like, you know, we were just able to leave immediately. But we had been praying through this situation for months. Mm-hmm. It's very rare that somebody can be just like, this is unhealthy. I'm quitting tomorrow. Right. So you need a plan to take care of your family. And there is no, no shame in that. And there's lots of reasons people stay at a place that they feel like isn't going to be there forever thing. And who knows why? Well, and you even had a conversation in the previous season with a friend that had decided not to leave a place that you felt was yeah. unhealthy and yeah, she had decided right. to stay. And her reason was as simple as we didn't think it was the right time for us to leave. And, you know, and I think one thing that you and I have both talked about a lot since leaving Ramsey is the world is infinitely more complex than, you know, our personal situations. So, you know, there's there's always going to be reasons why something that seems hard but possible for one person isn't going to seem possible for another person um, based on circumstances. I think you make a really good point about, you know, find someone you can talk to. Sometimes... That trusted person doesn't have to be anything more than someone you trust. It doesn't have to be an authority on anything. It doesn't have to be someone with connections. It can just be, you're a person I trust to listen to the situation I'm going through right now. And it's possible that in explaining your situation to that person, even without them coming up with, you know, leading questions, that you might come across a possibility you didn't see before. When we were going through all of this stuff back in, May of 2020, if we didn't have people to talk to, it would have found, felt like we had no options at all. Yeah. In talking to people, you discover possibilities that you wouldn't have thought of because being in a toxic environment is really traumatic. And yeah. when you ha- are in- deep in trauma, your brain isn't processing the way it could if you were healthy. Yeah. And so sometimes just having other people to work through that with, even if they're not at all related to the situation, can help provide that perspective that you're just not seeing. So like, as you said, something can seem completely impossible. And then you explain it to another person and they ask a question. They're like, well, have you considered this? Yeah. You know, is this an option? You know, okay, so you can't leave. Could you save money? 
is there anyone that you can talk to? And suddenly it's like, maybe I'm not completely stuck. Maybe I can't quit tomorrow. And it's not always going to be a job, right? But there's always something that can be done, even if it's not walking out the door the next day. And a lot of times that starts with who do I trust? Who can I tell that I'm in this situation? Because abusers want to isolate. Yeah, that's so true. And I mean, I think that came up over and over and over this season. And it's come up over and over on your podcast is just this feeling of, I felt like I wasn't allowed to talk to anyone. I think that something that you sharing all these stories has shown is it's not bad to be able to talk to someone that you trust. Mm -hmm. And in all the people that have reached out to you, I think that's shown that you've become that person for some people of saying like, well, here's a trusted voice that not even someone I even know, but someone that I can say, she seems like she uh, she's a safe person. She seems like she will understand what I'm going through. Emily P. Freeman has a podcast called The Next Right Thing. And she also mm-hmm. has... I had a, a friend book. send that to me today. Oh, just, yes. She's great. Just texted to me and be like, you should listen to this. This is awesome. Yeah. And she talks about decision making. And what I have learned from her is that really a lot of making decisions is asking good questions. If somebody can help you process some good questions, you can often come up with some next right thing that you can do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny, you know, this Jesus guy that we like to talk about, he <laughs> was notorious for answering questions with questions. Yeah. All the time people would be like this or that. And he'd be Mm -hmm. like, have you considered secret option C? (laughs) Or, you know, the answer that makes you go, oh, yeah, I do know the right. I do know the answer now. Mm -hmm. Would you like to hear a story? (laughs) (laughs) Answering with questions and answering with stories were like Jesus's two favorite things to do. This is not really related to anything. It's just, I mean, it's related to this, just not into what was something we were talking about. I'm just curious. Dave said a lot in the Got Your Six meeting. He talked a lot about loyalty, mm-hmm. you know, saying toxic loyalty is no good. That's a cult trait. <laughs> yes. But loyalty is a character t- trait. And he never really differentiated between toxic loyalty and loyalty, other than that loyalty meant I got your six. But do you view yourself and Nathan as loyal people? And do you view loyalty as a character trait? <laughs> uh, loyalty is a character trait. I mean, if you think about that phrase, it's very ambiguous. A good character trait, a bad character trait. It's a character trait. Yeah, I consider myself loyal. If I'm your friend, I'm going to be loyal to you. I'm going to follow you around. Like your dog. Like yes, Sammy. just like my dog. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not be codependent, but... I'm loyal. However, toxic loyalty would be, I got your six, regardless of what you do and regardless Mm -hmm. of what I've seen with my eyes and heard with my ears, going to support you, even though everything else shows me that I should not be supporting that person. And I mean, and I would argue you can support a person by calling them out for -hmm. their bad behavior. I reject the way Dave defines loyalty because mm-hmm. it, he it's a blind loyalty. It's a, mm-hmm. I'm not going to hold you accountable. That's mm-hmm. a terrible friend. I see in my loyalty to my friends is that I, I love them. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to pretend they're perfect. That does mm-hmm. them no favors. Yeah. 
Like an intervention is loyalty. Yeah. You don't do an intervention on someone you don't care about, but it's not supporting them in their bad behavior, you know, or their self-destructive actions. It's saying you are down a bad path and you need help. In that speech from Dave, it just, it made me feel like he has a lot of transactional relationships. Mm-hmm. And it's like he's putting these deposits of toxic loyalty into relationships because he expects them to do the same thing for him. He said that. Yeah, it's mandatory. And it's really sad. What a sad thing to not encourage your friends to be healthy and good humans. That's really sad. Yeah. And I mean, again, if we're going to be looking at Jesus, he had 12 pretty good friends. I don't know that there's a one of them he never called out. I would have been John asking if I was, I would have been the one like, he loves me the most. He loves me. Uh, I would have probably been Peter getting like really pedantic. So when you went on the record with Bob for RNS, yes, and that was back in January, 2021. Oh man, it feels like years ago. I know it was this year. There, there was some coverage of Ramsey in 2020, uh, you know, to their COVID response and, you know, Caitlin's lawsuit, but there wasn't really anyone besides Caitlin, you know, who just for anyone unfamiliar is the woman who is suing Ramsey for terminating her um, while pregnant. But other than the stories covering that where she was talking specifically about her case, there wasn't ever really anyone just talking just for the sake of sharing truth, you know, not attached to a lawsuit or in response to, you know, a story that was already out there. Um, You were kind of among that first group to tell this story that no one was talking about. And so you had no idea where that might go. And, you know, obviously when that RNS article came out in January, it did not cover the entirety of the a behind the scenes look at Ramsey Solutions. Like right. it was a peek behind the curtain, but it wasn't, you know, it didn't lay everything out for everyone to see. Since then, there has been other coverage from, you know, a variety of places, but you've kind of still been on the forefront. Like you're to my knowledge, the first person to ever do a podcast detailing your personal insider experience with Ramsey. I I guess I have two questions. One is what was that like to be kind of on the, on the front lines of this, not even knowing if there was anyone standing behind you? Like, what was it like at the time, both going on the record and then starting this podcast where you knew, I don't think you, you, you didn't know that you were going to be doing a whole season on this, but you did know, like, I'm going to do a podcast. And in that podcast, I'm going to mention, like, my husband worked for Ramsey and that's going to put me out there. So what was it like on the front end before you had taken that plunge, like standing on the edge of the cliff? What did that feel like? And then now in hindsight, you know, you're almost a year out from that RNS article you are three seasons deep into your podcast. You kind of know how all this feels by now. How does it feel looking back and looking forward? This probably won't surprise any of the journalists out there, but my decision to talk on the record with Bob Smetana was a long time coming and it happened over many conversations. In fact, the first time I heard from Bob was when I had shared the story of why Nathan left Ramsey on my blog 
in April of 2020. So Bob reached out and, you know, so much of our story was not, was intertwined with Melissa's story and I wasn't going to tell her story, put him off. And then um, came the end of closer to the end of the year. It was like November, started talking again and decided, you know what? There's some stuff that's out there publicly that's going to be coming out anyways. I prayed for a long time that somebody would volunteer to go on the record. And then I was like, hmm, maybe I am the person <laughs> that needs to go. Maybe I am the, the answer to my own prayer. Yes, I am the answer to the prayer. And looking back, as I think about it now, it, it fits with Amy's life motto. And that is the, I don't like anybody standing out there alone, having to do the hard thing by themselves. I will go and stand next to the person doing the hard thing because mm-hmm. I my therapist is like, so what? Ha- where, when did someone not stand with you when you were younger? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> where did this come from? That's another episode. So I was like, okay, I think I can do this. Not because I think I'm a hero, but because I think somebody else needs someone to go first. Mm-hmm. And if they know somebody else has gone on the record, then somebody else can go. Then they can go on the record later. Every once in a while I say, no one else is doing this. And why aren't they? And is it because something bad is going to happen? And then I am like struck with fear and anxiety. And then other times I'm like, this is easy. Why do people think this is such a big deal? And mm-hmm. this is no big deal. I remember you sending so me when- a message where you were like, this doesn't feel brave. Yeah. It's not brave. I'm just talking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then like the next day I'm like, I feel, I feel scared. I, you know, I'm like laying in my bed, unable to function. I still have those feelings. Like this feels good. This feels scary. This feels normal. Mm-hmm. To you know, and because I just never know if I'm going to take one step too many, and Dave is going, Dave or the leadership at Ramsey is going to do something to harm my family mm-hmm. or friends again. But I know that I can't control that, anyways. So it just feels like one way of taking back some of that out of control feeling. Mm-hmm. Part of speaking publicly, I think, is learning to not have expectations about what happens afterwards. And that's mm-hmm. really hard mm-hmm. because it's a, this up and down roller coaster feeling of like, okay, now it's time for everybody else to stand up and make their move or whatever that might mean. Or mm-hmm. I'm going to hear from a bunch of people. You might hear from one person, maybe, mm-hmm. but that one person can make all the difference. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just worth it because you just put it out there and you just did it because it was the right thing to do. And it just, that can feel, feel good too, but also feels vulnerable. It feels really vulnerable. I could put a hundred modifiers on how does it feel mm-hmm. and going forward. Oh, the other thing I want to say is that I don't know if I could have, if I felt like we were on an island by ourselves, but mm-hmm. I never felt that way because I felt like mm-hmm. we had community and support Mm-hmm. And that made all the difference. Even though, for the most part, no one was really ready to step out there with you at the time. Right. And go, right. We too will put it all out there. We were all like, good luck, Amy, on your podcast. <laughs> good luck. <laughs> Sounds great as we stand at the dock and wave to the ship <laughs> sailing away. Yeah. Have a fun adventure. Yeah. Not. I could not have, I couldn't have done it if I don't think I would have. I didn't feel this community support from like friends that were like mm-hmm. we're we're with you even though we're not like on the front lines even sharing an article can be 
uh, very bold, subversive act. For you, you were that, you know, I'm, I'm hoping you were that kind of first person that steps out, but, you know, not knowing if anyone will come behind and, you know, bring it back to Mars Hill. Like maybe that's how that is as well. Nothing, no person, no podcast, no documentary, no pastor can be all things to all people, but maybe it gives others courage to tell their stories and come forward with what they've experienced and the truth that they know. Yeah. So maybe Mars Hill just scratched the surface in some ways. Maybe it wasn't what a lot of people needed, but maybe it was what some people needed and maybe it's what someone will need to tell the next story. Yeah. Hopefully once enough stories are told, we might finally have a fuller picture. So it's not just a one-off here, a one-off there, one person having to stand out by themselves and say, well, here's what happened to me. Would anyone like to speak next? Going first has been scary. In late September, I had to attend a deposition to answer questions from the Ramsey Solutions lawyers. And I can't pretend that it's all been smooth sailing with no cost. Our family has paid a cost, literally and figuratively. Before signing off for this season, I want to leave you with one more thought. I've talked about going first, but that's not completely true. There have been those who have spoken up before this wave of truth tellers. We've grabbed the baton from the first wave and somebody else will take it from us. I don't know who it will be or when it will happen. I don't even know how far we are from the finish line, but I do know if each of us faithfully runs our own part of the race, we'll get there. And if you are running in a different race entirely, I want you to know I'm standing on the sidelines and I am cheering for you. You're doing great. Somehow that baton is going to make it to the finish line. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Untangled Faith Podcast. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you who support this work on Patreon. Our Patreon members have access to bonus audio, and members also get access to transcripts and a monthly live stream and other exclusive behind-the-scenes info. For information, visit untangledfaithpodcast.com slash member. If you enjoy this show, it would mean so much to me if you would leave a review on your favorite podcast app. That helps other people to find us. If you can't get enough of me, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook as Untangled Faith. On Twitter, I'm Faith Untangled. While this is the official end of this season, I do have a couple of other episodes that I'm going to share with you over the next couple of weeks as we wrap up this year. So be sure to watch for those in your favorite podcast.